What's up, everybody? I'm JJ John J. Stramski. And I'm Jason Goff. And if you haven't heard, The Ringer has gone local. I'm bringing the fire. I'm bringing the rain from the Big Apple with my show, New York, New York. And I'm repping Chi-Town with my new show, The Full Go on All Things Chicago. We've got episodes three nights a week with all the reaction to the local teams and guests. Plus bonus episodes around all the big games and storylines. So whether you're uptown, downtown, in the burbs, or a transplant. Make sure you follow New York, New York, and The Full Go on Spotify or wherever you get your podcast. Today's pod is loaded. We have Mitchell Schwartz, former Chiefs offensive lineman on what he saw, Chiefs Chargers, some other stuff. And we go to Chicago, Jason Goff, new podcast here at The Ringer. What is up with Matt Nagy and Fields? That's where my open is on the hate list for NFL coaches and life advice. It's the Ryan Russillo podcast presented by FanDuel. The road to the NBA Finals starts now, and FanDuel is the best place to get in on the action. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Quick Bets, which are back and better than ever for the NBA playoffs and FanDuel. Find what you're looking for faster and easier with more props right at your fingertips. You can check out live bets like three-minute markets and exclusive live bets like quarter player props, player assist combos, and more. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming, so please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 and older. 18 plus in D.C. and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit rg-help.com. Apple Card is the perfect cash back rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co forward slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch, subject to credit approval. Terms apply. I had a question about Matt Nagy after uh, week three's disaster and Justin Fields because, I mean, that was the biggest story. That was really the biggest story. It wasn't even L.A. beating Tampa Bay, um, Aaron Rodgers and what he did after Garoppolo got his team ahead. That was an unbelievable Sunday night game. I think the Chargers-Chiefs thing, we're going to spend a lot of time uh, on that game with Mitchell Schwartz, former Chiefs offensive lineman. So there's a lot of headlining stuff, but it felt like the most reaction, and this is a point that I've made throughout preseason and everything, is that Bears fans angst about Justin Fields' status with the team like I just got to a point where I was capped out. I was like, okay, I got it. I got it. I don't I'm sick of reading about this. Like every single Fields preseason game was this just on it. But I guess I don't know that I really respected how bad this whole deal was in Chicago with quarterbacks. And we know what the history is. It's not very good. But I watched a good chunk of this game because I was fighting with DirecTV for three hours to start my day. So I had two games to choose from, then I had to go back and watch some more of the Red Zone stuff. So I watched this game and I I guess I can't help but I guess, yeah, I'll admit, I laughed a little. I laughed a little. I'm sorry. Uh, I laughed a little at all of the Justin Fields people because Justin Fields didn't look like he was even close to ready. But by saying that, that could then be turned into, wait, are you pro-Naggy? And let me just say this loud and clear. I'm not pro-Naggy, okay? The Naggy thing hasn't worked. If he didn't have a job at the end of the year, I would not argue that he should have kept his job. Uh, I wasn't even a big Mitch Trubisky guy. It was very clear that the staff bailed on Mitch at some point, but I also think Mitch had his own limitations as a quarterback, those kind of limitations that are going to lose you games when you start trying to go a little further into the season. But I, I would work it out this way in my head that I'd go, 
What if the whole time when everybody was mad at Nagy about playing Dalton and saying that Fields wasn't ready, what if he was actually telling the truth that Fields wasn't ready? And he didn't look ready yesterday, but he also, I don't know who would have looked ready in that situation because the offense looked like it had nothing to do with him. So this is not anything that's that's complimentary towards Nagy. It's simply this. It's what if he was just kind of saying, hey, we got this guy in camp every day. And he came from an Ohio State offense where the O-line's always going to be better than everybody they're going up against. Hasn't to deal with pressure all that much. The receivers are all pros. And now the first taste that he's going to get of real pressure, real adversity, we don't think he's ready for that. So we want to give it a few weeks, maybe a month or two or whatever. Um, there was also a part of it, too, where I think people got really grossed out about it because the Sunday Night Football broadcast where Collinsworth was basically saying this is the whole game plan. And it was very pro naggy. And even I was turned off by that, even though there's nothing about me that's attached emotionally to any of the Chicago outcomes. So and the fact that Nagy was like, I'm going to like, I know you all want the fields part, but I'm going to make you watch Andy Dalton. It wasn't somebody else. It's I'm going to make you watch Andy Dalton before I let you see Justin Fields. So all of those things make a lot of sense and why people took it so personal. And then you have the result we had yesterday. I don't know if Fields is going to be great. I don't know if he's going to be bad. I have no idea. And I'm not going to use yesterday as an example other than to repeat the point, what if Nagy was right about him not being ready? Um, others would argue Nagy hasn't been ready uh, all season long because the numbers for them offensively are a joke. The Bears right now are averaging 3.3 yards per play, the fewest of any team through three games over the last 15 seasons. Um, there are there are numbers. I'm going to get to a couple other numbers a little bit later. But it led to what I think is now a new submission, although I think locally Nagy was on the hate list. But I think Nagy's now on the national hate list. And that is, Sarudi and I have been doing this. It's really Sarudi's idea. But it was just basically there's a hate list of NFL head coaches that are generally hated by the, I guess, national media. I wouldn't say it was just local. So who are the names that you were kicking around? Because now we, we obviously have to have Nagy to this. Yeah, it's it's national media. It's it's a lot of Twitter too, and and Aggie is probably just outside. But I have five guys that I think are ahead of him that instantly everyone roots against, no matter what kind of success they have. One, Cliff Kingsbury, too good looking. Didn't think he deserved the job. He's number one for me by a landslide. Two, I have Urban Meyer. Nobody likes Urban Meyer for a million different reasons, uh, and well, I'll leave it at that. Dan Campbell. I mean, that guy is as old school knuckle dragger as you could possibly find. He is everything like he is the antithesis of what like, you know, the analytics group thinks you should find in a new head coach. And I think people have failed, you know, have, have basically rooted for him to fail from day one, even though the team is actually playing pretty hard under him. Zach Taylor, kind of a similar thing to Kingsbury, although like, you know, he's just the oh, OK, this guy was a coach for Sean McVay for like one year. Now he gets a head coaching job. I think people thought that was unfair and they root against him. And the last one's a little bit different. I think it's John Gruden. $100 million contract. He was out of the league for so long. I think everybody thought he was out of touch. Then he goes and trades Khalil Mack when he gets there. The roster's kind of, kind of been a mess. Um, so I think I think Gruden kind of rounds it out as a, as a kind of different guy. But I think people like to clown on him because they just think he's the game is passing by. Yeah, I think Gruden's been really good in the offensive play calling stuff. He got $100 million. I didn't love that he was always campaigning for any job that came up when he's saying Rocky Top and Mike and Mike um, when he was still at ESPN, but he got a raise every single time he did it and it worked out. So the guy got paid. He's not worth a hundred million. The front office needs to be better. Um, but he's done a good job here with Derek Carr and they, they're off to a good start. The Taylor one, I totally get people being frustrated by it, but I don't even think enough of us have an opinion on Taylor Kingsbury. He's going to be the OC of USC. And then it's like, no, now you're going to be the head coach, but it was brought in to handle Kyler Murray. And at that point, the Kyler Murray part of it is, is accurate. But I, I think there's a lot of stuff. Good looking, good, good house, clean, clean oh, yeah. lines. 
um, just weird, resentful. There's a resentment towards success sometimes now that goes on. That's crazy. I would put Urban number one. I think the NFL national media is so mad about how he staffed and kept a guy in staff at Ohio State and then the strength coach that he hired, Jacksonville. Yeah. Not that Jacksonville is is the media mecca of Los Angeles or New York, but me being to all of these college campuses as much as I had over all the years at ESPN, like I just... You can't understand it unless you're there. Like these, these are these are gods amongst men. The way that you are treated when you win at programs like Ohio State or Alabama, or what would happen to you if you were at North Carolina in basketball, or Duke, or Kentucky, Kansas. Like it's hard to be normal. I can't imagine Nick Saban going a marathon for gas and saying, you know, I think I want to get a Diet Coke. Like, can he even go in there and get the Diet Coke? Like, I don't, I don't know if he can. But the way that you're treated with such reverence and awe and worship. Um, and then Urban, it's like, hey, no, now you're now you're in Jacksonville. Not that there's not a ton of Jags fans that aren't huge fans of him because of what he did at Florida, but you get the point. But now with Urban, I, I would look. You can not like Urban. You can be pissed about the hiring. You can not like anything about him. And I'd say, fine. Can we give him a year? Can we give him four <laughs> weeks? Can we give him any amount of time? Because every time they lose the victory lap that you see from people, when it's like, hey, you know this team stinks, right? Um, and with Trevor Lawrence, even with him, I mean, Andrew Luck's like the only guy that I've seen be able to do something that a quarterback just doesn't do, and that's not have a great team around him and carry a team. I mean, that's that's what was so great about Luck in that first year. Even with Russell Wilson, he wasn't asked to do a ton. They had a great defense. They actually used to run the football back then. Um, but now I'm rambling a bit here. The Campbell thing's very predictable because no one likes the end. Nobody likes to admit that every now and then you get to get a little fucking caveman on this game. <laughs> All right? And I'm okay with a little caveman. And if the team plays for him, which it seems like they are playing really hard for him, then I'm okay with it, even though that Neanderthal thing is is totally uncool. You're right, though. Nagy's not in the list because nobody... There's he wasn't no, hated like, from day one. That's the difference. He wasn't hated from... I think all no. those guys, immediately yes. when they got the job, there was a vendetta against them. Like, this guy should not be here, and we are going to root... You know, kind of root against him, essentially. Whereas I think Nagy, when he got there, it was like, okay, Andy Reid, there's some hope here. He had a decent first year, at least, and there was something to hope, you know, something to build on or hope for. And the, all these other guys, uh, it was from day one. Yeah, I mean, Nagy's made the playoffs, what, twice? Yeah, he's made, he's made it twice. Now, the point of this whole thing was me saying, like, what if what if through all of this and everybody being right about Nagy not being good? I mean, here's, here's some numbers for you. Uh, right now, <laughs> we told you about where the offense has been in the last 15 years. Against the Browns, they average 1.1 yards per play. That's the worst for a team since 2004. It's the second worst since 1981. Um, I don't know what the hell they were doing when they were trying to block Miles Garrett with just Jason Peters. Um, the front office hasn't done him any favors. Their top three cap hits are Allen Robinson, who we all like but doesn't get the ball anymore, and Nick Foles, who's watching, and basically said to Dalton, hey, the offense doesn't work, and that was caught on camera. And then Jimmy Graham, who has one catch. Those are your top three cap hits for your Chicago Bears. Uh, the team is not well run. It's not a really talented team. This is not a pro naggy segment. I'm just simply saying, like all the other rookie quarterbacks, none of these guys are ready. I would rather you play and get out there and get it over with but yeah, I'll admit there was a part of me for the the push for fields because preseason numbers were 30 of 49 for 360 yards, three touchdowns, zero picks, and a 97 QBR rating that, oh, yeah, okay, he's, he's ready. He's good to go. Look how awesome he's been in the preseason. The preseason means nothing 
it means even less now. No one cares about it. Zach Wilson against the Packers. I was going back and reading preseason stories this morning. 9 of 11, 128 yards, two touchdowns. Quote, Wilson picks apart Packers defense. Randy Mueller, 40 years in NFL front offices, now on a podcast, said, quote, Zach Wilson, more ready than Trevor Lawrence. Have you watched Zach Wilson? Again, he might end up being be right. I mean, this isn't like an anti-Randy Mueller thing, but the whole point is that none of these guys necessarily – we're ready, and Nagy might have just been like, hey, look, he's not ready, and I don't even want to put him out there, but they did a disastrous job helping Fields through his first start against Cleveland. Now, I'll leave it at this. I, I mean, like Chicago and Fields or anyone else, I mean, there's a Jets amount of coverage where I'm annoyed by your own assumption of your own relevance. Like, no one cares. I mean, the, the Jets, you're not the Giants. I mean, whenever it's like, oh, here we go with the Jets game, keep it to yourself. Sit in a corner and face the corner and be bummed out about your fucking Jets on your own. I don't want to hear about it anymore. At least the Bears have some history, although it's bad history at the position. When you get the quarterback, like Fields, who looked as good as he did at Ohio State, like we all know what the game here is. The game is, even if it's not going to work out, at least I have hope. At least I have hope. And Nagy may have been delaying your hope. You know, he might have been actually doing you a bit of a favor here because I don't know if Fields is going to be great or terrible. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, two of the guys that we're talking about right now, these top first half picks are going to suck. They're going to be on different teams in year five. All right. Hope is a weird thing. Hope is why we like the NBA draft. Hope is why whoever gets Mo Bamba next, that fan base is going to go, well, the Magic never knew how to use him. Okay. That is going to happen. That's what hope is all about. Uh, I, I can only think about like, you know, trying to get a job or, you know, some of the stuff that I do now, you, you'll have a meeting. You're like, all right, the agent says, okay, we're waiting to hear back. You have hope for a few days, and you may not even realize that in a few days you're going to get awful, awful news. And what Nagy did is he made you wait to find out about how much hope you should have and watch Andy Dalton in the process. And I think that's ultimately what led to all this stuff. And then you see a coach who clearly didn't seem to get his quarterback ready. I hope it works out for Fields. I hope he's awesome. I hope it works out for the Bears. I hope it works out for all those fans. But yes, I couldn't help but notice when I watched that game yesterday, as bad as it was around him, I'm like, what if Nagy, the one nobody likes anymore, was actually telling us the truth about where he thought Fields was with his NFL career? I want to finish with two final thoughts here. I want to thank my good friend Colin Cowherd um, for getting to it. I tried to call up E-Trade this morning. I was like, is there any way I can invest in people talking about Justin Herbert and saying that he maybe passed Patrick Mahomes this week? And Kyle Hurd did it. He did it. Uh, that is, I knew somebody was going to do it because it's a bit like the dance. It's like a dance floor take, you know, where you're like, I'm not a dancer by trade. And then you get a couple short ones in you. You're at the wedding. And you're like, all right, fuck it. Maybe I'll take my jacket off a little bit. Like, oh, they're playing R. Kelly? Okay. Although I don't know if that's that's accepted anymore. Um, you get my point, though. It, you know, the song comes on, and you're like, I'm just going to get out. Next thing you know, you're just whiling, and there's a circle around you. I, that, Herbert better than Mahomes is a, is a wedding dance floor take, if I ever saw one. So I knew it was coming. I didn't know if Cowherd would go there. I thought he was, thought he was a little bit more established to go with that one, but he did it. He did it. That's hysterical uh, because you texted me last night and I was searching on Twitter. I'm like, is nobody going to take the bait on this? I was like, I was hoping to have some actual examples. So thank you, Colin. You're the man. Appreciate it. I just wish I could make money off of that stuff because that was one where I was like, okay. Yeah, the quote was, I would argue that Herbert almost makes it look easier. 
than Mahomes, than Mahomes. Not just playing the position. If there's one thing we'd say about Patrick Mahomes at this point of his career, is no one's ever made the position look easier, ever. And he was like, you know what? I'm taking Herbert. All right. And then the last one is I just want to thank Aaron Rodgers, who said after an incredible final possession there, it was like, all right, you need two deep throws. You need the clock to be right. You need to spike and then give Crosby a chance. I mean, that was just absolute surgery that you would expect from a guy like Aaron Rodgers. But I want to thank him for not taking the Jeopardy job because I know I already prepped for it. And if Aaron Rodgers is hosting Jeopardy right now, because he put a lot of prep work into those shows, we would be denied that last night. And it was close, if you believe um, some people about Aaron Rodgers hosting Jeopardy. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. La Quinta by Wyndham has everything you need for your next business trip. From free high-speed Wi-Fi to fitness centers to free bright side breakfast with fresh waffles, eggs, and more, book direct at LQ.com. Tonight, La Quinta, tomorrow you shine. Okay, looking forward to this, uh, especially because I don't think any of us expected three weeks in to be going, okay, one and two Chiefs, what's the deal? Uh, joining us now, a guy who played tackle for him for a bunch of seasons, been on the podcast before, it's Mitchell Schwartz. So, no. Look, there's no way any of us thought that they'd be they'd be one and two. Uh, we probably thought their defense would have some issues. We've seen that. But specific to what we saw yesterday and kind of the whole thing, I mean, look, these are still your friends. These are guys you played with just last year. You retired. Um, what are you watching right now when you see the Chiefs? Well, I didn't actually retire. I'm still recovering from back surgery. So Wait, hopefully what? that... Yeah, I still have, you know, a little nerve pain down the legs every day. So once I can get that figured out, then I can make an official decision. So that is, uh, you know, not, not, not the case right now. But in terms of the Chiefs, um, it sucks to see. I mean, as you said, I, I know everyone and obviously I'm, I'm cheering for them. It seems like offensively, I mean, going against Brandon Staley, all the articles have been written, the too high thing. Uh, it seems like teams are going to kind of force Kansas City to march down the field and not make a mistake. and have those 12, 14 play drives, not have a turnover. You know, they got three rookies on the O-line, not give up a sack or holding call or some sort of a bad play to throw off the drive. And, you know, the thing that scares teams the most about the Chiefs is the speed and the, you know, big playability. Uh, I think, you know, teams tried to press them. They tried to throw some man stuff at them, confuse them with different defensive looks. I think now it seems like they're just going to, you know, sit back, play super deep, take away, you know, Tyreek going 50 yards downfield and kind of force the Chiefs to march themselves down the field. And, you know, the past couple of weeks, uh, you know, at some point in, in most of those drives, they've had that turnover. They had that bad play that uh, ruins drives. Yeah, if you're going to get four straight possessions with turnovers from the carryover of the end of Baltimore and then what happened at the start of this game against the Chargers, uh, you, I mean, look, that's not going to happen. This team could be 3-0. and uh, I look at them in 1-2 and two and go, okay, what's the biggest issue? This, the crazy part about the Chargers game is that I actually loved what they were doing defensively for most of it. Like that was my, I was like, hey, they're probably going to have a terrible defense. Maybe they're even worse than they were last year. Whatever, it's not going to matter. I actually thought they had really nice stretches defensively yesterday for the first time this season. Yeah, that's the best the defense has looked by far. I mean, they came out, they're flying around uh, early in the game. They, you know, got some of those three and outs and those quick defensive stops. Obviously, the offense put them in a, a pretty bad position for, you know, about two or three quarters there. And they still held their own. I mean, by the end of the game, you know, they gave up one or two touchdowns. Um, 
But again, everyone's talking about Herbert, that offense, you know, all the things they can do. So, you know, defensively, they looked a lot better. I mean, the first two weeks, like your run defense probably isn't going to look great if you face Baltimore and Cleveland in weeks one and two, you know, two of probably the best two run teams in the NFL and so distant, so different stylistically. Um, but the defense just looked like they had that attitude, that aggression yesterday. Um, as you said, they did a lot better. Uh, you know, it's not uh, too often where uh, you're seeing the defense kind of holding the game up. And then, you know, as bad as the offense was, like in the middle of the third quarter, I think the Chiefs took the lead, the score flipped, and you're like, all right, well, they've been playing like crap, and here they are in command. And I think everyone at that point thought it was going to be, you know, a 10, 14, 17-point victory. So you mentioned the two high safeties with Staley. Uh this is something that we're seeing. Um, Brandon Staley, apparently, you know, again, this is me reading about it and then seeing what people say after the fact is that he's going to try to get teams to run. Uh, you know, one of the things that I've noticed, whether it's Saturday or Sunday, is that nobody wants to get out of trouble with the run ever. <laughs> and and I always laugh whenever it's 14 nothing at the start of the second quarter and the analysts will be like, well, you know, you got you to still try to stay balanced. You're like, there's still two and a half hours left. It's two <laughs> scores. Like, you don't have to only pass. And with Mahomes, it's not like I'd want to be handing it off a ton. You're kind of doing what they want. But did you ever have, I mean, look, it's kind of ridiculous to even ask you this question when you're playing with a guy who might go down as the best to ever play the position. But did you ever have moments where you were like, why are we just passing every single time? No. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, you know, right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he, he just, he makes it work. You know, I always... From my perspective, I always thought when the offense kind of got bogged down or when we weren't looking so hot, I always thought, hey, just go empty and just put all the pressure on the defense. I mean, put, you know, Tyreek, Travis Kelsey, a running back, Nicole, D-Rob, you know, Sammy Watkins at the time. Like, just put all those guys out there and just say, all right, cover all five of them. Because you know Pat can diagnose the blitz. You know, he can like, oh, this guy's coming. I'm just going to dump it off over here. Oh, Kelsey saw the blitz. He's open now. So if you want to blitz him, good luck. If you want to try to hold up with seven guys on those five and having all the options available, I mean, good luck on that too. You know, I always thought, spread it out, kind of go more up-tempo, maybe start running two-minute stuff. I mean, we see, we saw this Thursday night with, you know, Davis Mill or David Mills. You know, they looked pretty bad for a whole half and all of a sudden they got into the two-minute drive and they started moving the ball. Like teams aren't moving the ball, get into these drives and they start pushing the tempo. They start, you know, throwing it downfield and all of a sudden they have success. And so um, to get back to the question, no, I never thought, hey, maybe we should, uh, you know, start running it more. But to your point, you know, when I had Kyle Shanahan as my offensive coordinator in 2014 in Cleveland, you know, we got down pretty big. Our first game of the year in Pittsburgh, we were down like 24 to 3. At the half, I was like, okay, well, this is another great season. And uh, Kyle's thing, so he had this like super up-tempo um, offense. It was like a step faster than a traditional, you know, kind of two-minute no-huddle thing. There's like one word and that tells you the formation and the play and all that stuff. And we went out and we just basically ran the ball left, right, play action, run, left, run, right. And to your point, you know, we were down three scores and we clawed our way back to tie it with the run game. Um, so yeah, you don't have to start throwing the ball down 14 nothing in the first quarter. Uh, modern football is obviously trending towards passing on every single play and as you love to say, going for every single fourth down. <laughs> and, uh, you know, that doesn't have to be the case. Yeah, it's a stupid question in your, like, for me to ask it about the Kansas City Chiefs, as I'm asking the question, I'm like, this is a really stupid question because you should never want Pat Mahomes to be like, no, nah, I'm good. I like, I'm just going to keep handing <laughs> it off a ton. But I would say in a broader observation of the game, especially on some of the Saturday stuff, 
where they, they got guys that are three weeks out of high school. You know, again, I don't mean graduation date, but start of their college career. And you're going, she's so just going to have this guy drop back 55 times in, in an SEC game. Like what, what, what are we doing? Um, and that's when the score is still somewhat close. So for Mahomes, it's a stupid question. I, and I'm, I'm willing to admit maybe it's still not the greatest observation. It's just an observation that exists that no one ever seems to ever want to like settle things down or get back into a game by running the football or even just being balanced at all. It's like as soon as you see 14 nothing, it's like, oh, shit, we're just going to go shotgun four wide. Let's do it with the Chiefs. But here's the other thing. Like, I don't know you're going to answer this one. Is... Is there something you're seeing defensively where so much of it's on Kelsey and Hill where it's almost two guys on them every time because there's enough respect for the third downfield threat? I mean, it does seem that way, at least with Tyreek specifically. You know, Travis still putting up numbers and, you know, has a bunch of catches and, you know, you can put two or three guys on him, but even he doesn't know where he's going to go until he makes the move. So it's, uh, you know, a little futile to try to try to learn tendencies and route concepts because Trav just is all feel out there and he knows what's on the paper and then he goes and does his own thing and gets open. But yeah, it seems like, you know, as an offensive lineman, so I learned this from Joe Thomas, you know, what does the guy I'm going against do best? Oh, if I'm going against Von Miller, it's a spin move. You know, if I go against Bosa, maybe it's the power in the long arm. You know, that's their best thing. Take it away. If he can beat me on a second or third move, you know, great. He's a great rusher and that works for him. I think defenses are figuring that too. You know, if you take away the thing the Chiefs do best, which is, you know, Tyreek, you know, running wild downfield, you know, Kelsey catching everything, you can live with, you know, McColl, D-Rob, Pringle, the other guys beating you. Um, I thought yesterday the Chiefs moved the ball really well. It seemed like they were, you know, kind of, quote unquote, in control. Um, it just every drive ended in some sort of mistake, whether that was their own fault or whether it was the Chargers making a play with, you know, punching a ball out or whatever. Um, but yeah, I mean, I don't see any reason why you wouldn't. I mean, we talked about, say we, but people talked about, you know, Belichick and, oh, well, he takes his best corner and he puts him on the second best receiver and he doubles the first receiver. And like we saw those clips of, you know, two guys on like Tony Gonzalez at the line of scrimmage and like they just basically hold the crap out of him back when that was legal um, and in the red zone and just saying like, all right, good luck beating us with anything else. So yeah, I mean, going into a game, what do you have to worry about? Tyreek and Kelsey. So do what you can to take them away. At that point, you start mixing it up and then that's where things get a little bit more confusing and the defense, you know, stops being quite as predictable. All right, last thing on the Chiefs here. Um, give me a story that gives all of us an example of what it's like to break the huddle with Mahomes or you know, him, him diagnosing something, him seeing something. I mean, there's, there's a lot of special players out there that play the position, but there's a calmness to him too that is pretty rare. That, so you would watch him and be like, I can't tell if he's up 30 or down 20. Yeah, so it's... I like to think of myself as a, a smart player and I can, you know, kind of figure out where the blitzes are coming from and all that stuff. I mean, what he does and what these quarterbacks do is on a whole other level, but we'll go into a play and, oh, I know the front and I, I see the safety and I know the splits has come in and say he calls the protection the other direction. And I kind of turn back like, hey, this guy's going to come. He's like, yeah, yeah, I got it. <laughs> and, you know, he just has those moments where like he's making that decision, like knowing maybe a guy's going to come free because the guy coming free leads to like this particular hot throw and they're going to run this coverage and like the guy behind him is going to be open and maybe he actually doesn't want that guy to be blocked. He wants him to be free. And it's just this like whole other higher level of thinking where I think I'm so cool and I got this shit and like, oh yeah, I know the blitz. We should slide this way. He's like, no, no, no. We actually want to go the other way. I want to make sure this guy's free. I want to throw over his head. Like it's just those kind of little moments where you realize like this other level that the guy's playing on and like that offense, I mean, 
there's so many moving parts. There's a motion guy every time. There's people moving at the snap. I mean, the verticality of it. Um, he has to know what we're doing too because it's a, it's a center-directed... Well, it's not a center-directed offense. It's a quarterback-directed offense. So, um, you know, he's kind of in control of all that stuff. Um, it's just cool. And like every time you think you have it figured out, like you realize that like this guy is four steps ahead of you. Uh, it's nice to have that guy back there. That's for sure. Was there ever, because, you know, when you get enough people around, there's always a difference of opinion. Was there ever a time early on there was a guy who's like, I don't really like this dude? <laughs> uh, no, and you're talking about people not liking Pat? <laughs> yeah, because I've never uh, heard no, of thing. No. There wasn't one guy maybe that, you know, got cut three weeks later. It's like, you guys, yeah, I don't know. Kind of <laughs> annoying. <laughs> no. Uh, I don't think you would name him anyway, but I was trying. I was trying. No, there's 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 some guys that you don't you don't like throughout your career that you're not willing to, to throw out there. But uh, I think that's kind of the cool thing with him and with Kelsey as well is like what you see is actually what you get. It's not a facade. It's not you know them trying to be this brand or whatever. Like they're just themselves and they're natural. And I think that's why people gravitate towards them. What are you willing to say about who the charges are for not only this season but the next couple of years? Yeah, they. It seems like they're kind of neck and neck with with Kansas City at this point because the differentiation has always been Mahomes. Uh, you know, Herbert seems like he's I don't know a top eight guy already and and getting a lot better. You know, we saw in the Super Bowl last year. You know, obviously Kansas City's goal this whole offseason make the O line better. You can't expose your quarterback. Your O line has to be you know if not the best in the league, it's got to be a top ten unit. You know, the Chargers went out, they drafted the left tackle, they brought in you know a top center. They really solidified the offensive line, so that gives Herbert this whole springboard. I mean, they've had studs in the skill positions for forever. Um, you know, I went to school with Keenan Allen in college, so I've always known how good he is. Um, but they've got these other receivers. They got the running backs. They got you know a tight end or two. Uh, the offense line is really what was holding back that offense. So they fixed that. Uh, defensively, I mean, you get this, you know, kind of the new age style of defense. So you've got the guy leading the charge, now in charge of the team. So he's bringing his ideas, his thoughts to a defense that's pretty good skill-wise. I mean, they've got Bosa, uh, who's obviously phenomenal. Everyone's loved Derwin James when he's on the field. Um, so it's a, a pretty scary thing. You know, I tweeted out before the game, this is one of the rare times you could get, you know, two of the best five quarterbacks in the NFL in the same division playing two or three times a year for the next 15 years. Um, and I think the cool part is it's not, you know, offensive genius head coach against offensive, offensive genius head coach. Like it's Staley against coach Reed every single time. And I think that's, you know, a little wrinkle there uh, as well. So yeah, the chargers look awesome. I don't think it's you know too early to say that, you know, they're a, a really good team already and their ceiling is pretty high as well. Yeah, with Derwin going out, I was like, ah, oh, here we go again, you know, because he's been so good when he's healthy, but he just isn't healthy all that often. Bosa even left for a series, and I thought, oh, no, you know, and then I was like, nope, there he is. And then he had a big play late. I love the receivers. I mean, Mike Williams is totally an afterthought all the time. He's he's a matchup nightmare because of his size. And then Keenan, who's, you know, I know we we always will say this guy's the most underrated, this guy's the most underrated, but we never bring him up with the receivers. I mean, Devontae, I'm a DeAndre Hopkins guy. Um, we can go on and on, but I just don't feel like Keenan's ever brought up. I mean, and Keenan's an interesting guy because I remember being down at Bama right around when it was like, no, he's, he's going to Cal. And we were like, wait, <laughs> Keenan Allen went to Alabama and then he decided to transfer to Cal. Did he ever talk to you guys about that? Uh, not directly, but I think he was trying to get his brother to come, Zach, the quarterback. And I also think Bama wanted him at safety, believe it or not. 
Um, so it was kind of a package deal and, you know, Cal was, was willing to accept that package. So we, uh, my, my senior year there, I had Zach Maynard as my quarterback. Uh, it wasn't bad. I mean, it's not like we really had anyone better at the time either, but I think there was, you know, a little bit more of a, a package deal there than not. But dude, Keenan was incredible. His freshman year, our offensive line coach called him Wonder Boy because he was like just doing stuff that we'd never seen before. And like, he's so smooth. And then I think, a big reason why he's not talked about. Uh, so coming out, he had like hurt his knee his last year and he tried to you know run for the combine. He ran like a four seven one or something ridiculously slow. So people just assumed he was this like slow wide receiver. He couldn't get separation, but he is so freaking smooth. And like, he's a guy that, you know, if people just look at and actually study, he was doing all that like nuanced stuff as like an 18, 19 year old in college. And, you know, now as he's in his you know mid to late 20s, uh, it's, it's pretty awesome to see. And, you know, I don't really love talking about, you know, Chiefs, uh, you know, rivals like that. But Keenan's an awesome dude. And uh, he's just so fun to watch. And anyone that appreciates, you know, wide receiver play, he's, he's up there. He's like you said, he's just not talked about. Yeah. I mean, look, you Cal guys stick together. Um, I, I was surprised it took so long for you to remind us how smart you are. As a Cal guy, because well, you know. I'm looking at I'm looking at the timer. I gave myself 12 and a half minutes. Um, I got the over there. So, um, did you put a Fanduel prop on that for me or what? <laughs> Your face. I was like, uh oh, did I just ruin the interview? And it was like, no, he had it. He had it ready to hey, go. I'm, because- I'm 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 coming on after the Fury uh, interview, so I got. A, a low ready. ceiling, a low, low bar to climb over. The funny thing about Keenan yesterday, too, is that he has this kind of look of disgust throughout the game. And I don't know how that like peaks because, you know, when Herbert needed to get the first down, move the sticks, basically kind of in the game, you know, Keenan runs that little route to the right side. And it's, as you said, it's so smooth. There's not like a ton to it other than just perfect technician at work, gets inside, catch whatever first down and then he just looks around like i shouldn't even be out here with you people which is a little like it's a little aggressive but it was just (laughs) i don't know it was just a funny way for him to look around to just be like i'm disgusted you even thought i wasn't going to get that first down and it was like man everybody thinks you're pretty good so i don't know who you're mad at right now (laughs) yeah i mean i've never been one to like fake being angry at people to get motivation. But I think, you know, people kind of need to do that to, to psych themselves up. Um, obviously, it's working, whatever he's doing. Uh, but yeah, I always, you know, kind of find it interesting to see what makes guys tick. That was always my thing with Richard Sherman. You know, I thought he almost like talked so much to like motivate himself that he had to then back up what he was saying. Like it was almost this like self-fulfilling thing where, you know, he talked a big game, but then he also knew that he put that on himself and then he had to go, um, you know, succeed and fulfill that. And he obviously did that, which was pretty cool. Um, so yeah, guys, like the inner conversations, motivating themselves, it's, it's pretty cool. Okay, let's talk a little bit about play calling and the rest of the stuff that you saw on Sunday. I mean, I opened up with the Nagy and Fields thing, which, you know, no one's sitting here going, I love the way they used Fields. It was a disastrous. Like, I, I'm not going to go over everything I just said at the open of this podcast, but this feels like it's not just specific to Fields. I mean, we know the rookie QBs are struggling in general, but there's even some guys who've been around a while. So what are you seeing with play calling? Um, where you can almost tell, like it was always my Mitch Trubisky thing with Nagy, where I was like, "Oh, they don't trust him." Like I can tell what they're doing now, and some of the some of the stuff they would try with him when he was younger, they don't even call anymore. Are you seeing that around the league with a handful of guys? 
Yeah. And that's what, I mean, you were big on it last year with Tua too. Like that just didn't look like a staff that, you know, trusted the guy and talking about self-fulfilling. I mean, I feel like that's when a coordinator doesn't trust his quarterback or his offense, you know, what do they do? They play it safe. So they run the ball on early downs. They throw these little two or three yard passes and hope someone breaks the tackle. They throw screens, you know, as, as we've talked about, those are the, the lower percentage plays are not going to get, you know, quite as much yardage. And now you're left with third and seven, third and eight, you know, potentially third and 10. Um, all right, maybe a run got stuffed in the backfield. It's third and 12. Well, now you put this quarterback that you already didn't trust into a, a third and five plus situation, which is like the lowest percentage play in the playbook. And so they almost like force themselves into these, you know, less successful uh, situations, especially if you don't have a good O-line. I mean, you know, the Bears O-line is struggling. And so if you're playing it, you know, conservative earlier and now all of a sudden they got a, you know, pass block on third and eight for four seconds with a quarterback who's not diagnosing things quite as crisp and, and quickly, you know, that's, that's going to be real bad. And so, um, you know, weirdly, you know, these coordinators that don't trust their quarterbacks. I mean, we saw, it, again, I mentioned earlier with, with Houston, you know, they basically played the most vanilla offense of all time and not a surprise. They couldn't get, you know, conversions on third downs because they're setting themselves up with these third and longs. All of a sudden they kind of just let the quarterback loose in the two minute drive. They had no choice and he started playing better. And then in the second half, they trusted him a little bit more. You're able to do some, some better things on early downs, put yourselves in better situations. You know, I feel like that Miami game yesterday, we saw that a little bit with Brissett. Um, you know, I don't know what it is with Miami. Seems like you know once they don't trust the quarterback, they go uh, pretty calm and, and pretty vanilla. And uh, again, it's just another O line situation that if you don't trust your O line on on first and ten to hold up for you know a seven yard pass, how are you going to trust them on third and eight for that twelve yard pass? And so I think you know a little bit more aggression. It's not as we talked about earlier. You don't have to throw the ball all the time. It's not that type of thing. But playing it really slow and and cautious especially when the o-line isn't clicking on all levels i think you're just setting your whole offense up for failure because it's the same side of the ball but it is the division like where were you at with Derek carr and and where are you now with him from what he's done this year so i always thought clean pocket Derek carr was awesome you know there's there's no one who watches him throw you know his pretty passes and says oh this guy sucks like he throws an amazing ball when everything's clicking you know he was one of those top guys uh to me, he was always the guy that once the pressure started to, to build and more, you know, defensive line pressure, you know, getting after the quarterback, um, he seemed to change into a little bit different quarterback. And you kind of always went into a week, hey, if we can get to him, if we can affect him, you know, the play starts to slip. Um, you know, I just, I'll just always remember, I mean, it's, it's something you don't necessarily forget, but, you know, he's feeling a little pressure. He's trying to get rid of the ball and just kind of threw a duck over to the left side and it got picked. It might have been a pick six, but one of those, like, he just didn't want to take the hit and wanted to get rid of it and, and made a really poor decision. And, you know, that was kind of the, the thing that I had stuck in my head. Two, three weeks, dude, he is crushing it. He has, you know, pressure in his face. He's throwing these bombs that are accurate. You know, obviously he's led these fourth and fifth quarter overtime drives. Um, you know, essentially the only quote unquote knock that or concern I would have had about him is, you know, how he holds up when the pocket condenses, when guys are hitting him, all those things. Um, he's just been lights out. And so he's a quarterback that's, you know, firing on all cylinders. Everything looks good. There's not really an area of weakness. And he was always able to do, you know, all those things. It was just, you know, kind of that last step for quarterbacks to vault themselves into the top tier. Um, so, yeah, when you're talking about him, you know, you're talking about, you know, Herbert and the Chargers and then the Broncos are sitting there 3-0. and uh, You know, the AFC West looks pretty loaded right now. The thing that I always thought was Carr was like really... I don't know what it was. I think like the way his schedule worked, he always watched Van Pelt and I. 
So then when we met him or we had him on, he was like specifically nice to us. And you're like, oh, that's that's cool. And I'll admit, like, (laughs) it's a smart thing strategically to do as an athlete because, you know, Derek was somebody early on. Like, if you go look at some of Sando's quarterback tiers, and I remember, I think one year he might have been a top five preseason MVP favorite because it was a carryover of like, okay, he's this young guy that's turned the page and you're good to go. And then it's like, all right, some of the numbers are really good. Um, We had a scoring number from him going from this season to last season where I think he was number two in drives that lead to any points at all. Um, Yeah. I mean, that's that's unbelievable. I mean, the number two quarterback negotiating this. I mean, if you want to sit here and talk about some of the numbers being off or a little bit here or there. Like I saw Emmanuel Acho, Acho do this thing where he was trashing Dak Prescott. And he used the same TD stat like twice in the same presentation. It was like, look how low he is in TDs. Look how low he is in TD percentage. You're like, dude, that's like saying a guy who doesn't get a lot of hits has a low average. Like we got it. (laughs) And so we can move the numbers around however we want. But that's a pretty clear cut deal where it's like, all right, if you're quarterbacking your team and you're second behind only one other guy um, in number of drives that lead to points, I guess always felt like the Raiders wanted to replace him, so maybe that impacted us a little bit. But the other part about Carr that I always thought was funny was that after he got so sick of first take talking about him, specifically Kellerman, he challenged Kellerman to a fight, and he was like, "When if we get into the octagon, we should start a business here. And then, it, which sucks for Kellerman, is that a betting site named Stephen A. the favorite in a boxing match <laughs> against Derek Carr, and they never used Kellerman in there. Again, I don't know if Derek Carr would beat up. I would think if you're getting hit by 300-pound guys every week, you're more likely, you're tougher than a lot of us that are behind a microphone. So, you know, I still think Derek Carr well, is no, I mean, credit. We all know you're ripped, so probably not you. <laughs> yeah, well, ripped is ripped is an exaggeration there. Um, I don't know. I just did a really long Derek Carr thing, and I'm not quite sure where it was going. I don't know if you had more to add to that, but I do have a question off of that soliloquy. Well, the interesting thing, so Carr, I feel like, has had kind of the Twitter reputation of blocking guys pretty easily. and like, He does? Say, yeah, that's okay. what I'm pretty sure. Um, well, it's not, not like very Roethlisberger, hard. though. Not like the Roethlisberger. Not. Guy. I mean, yeah. he he he's a leader in the clubhouse, but I think you know Carr might be number two for quarterbacks who you know any sort of negativity out there. And look, I I don't mind people that block or mute people on on Twitter because I'm not blocked. Nice. Yeah. There you go. See. So he does like you. Um, Let's check Roethlisberger. Yeah, I think Carr has kind of the first few years, like you said, he was a young guy. He was ascending. You know, he didn't you know, have quite as big of a jump as we'd like. Then all of a sudden he gets Gruden as the, as the coach. Everyone's ragging on Gruden. The offense sucks. He's a mess. You know, the first year or two, it was good. It wasn't great. You know, you kind of wanted more. Um, yeah, you were thinking about replacing him potentially. I mean, at the time, two years ago, what Carr was, what we've seen of Kyler the past few years, you know, Kyler was the guy they wanted to replace him with. Well, that seems kind of logical. I mean, this past year, yeah, who really wouldn't want to trade for Aaron Rodgers? You know, that seems pretty logical. Um, so I'm not sure that placed by, you know, an elite quarterback is a bad thing. I think, you know, to go completely off topic, this whole Shanahan LaFleur thing, the fact that like LaFleur is miffed that Shanahan had the gall to like ask if they could trade for Aaron Rodgers. Who wouldn't want to trade for him? <laughs> like, you're really pissed about that? I mean, come on. That is ridiculous. Your quarterback is saying he's never going to play for you again. <laughs> and supposedly one of your good friends calls and says, hey, if you guys are going to trade him, can you think about us? We, we would love to have him. I don't see what's wrong about that. So that's a, that's a weird situation. Um, 
I don't know what you thought about that, but that, that whole storyline is just odd. It doesn't make any sense. I mean, the guy went on a campaign publicly for months and then showed up and then was like, all right, I guess I'm, I guess I'm good. Like you're not doing your job. Imagine being on San Francisco's side and saying, well, you know, we couldn't call about Rogers, even though he was campaigning to get out of there just because we couldn't do that to LaFleur. Like, give yeah, me a break. You yeah, know, you can not like it, but you can also understand it. Yeah, exactly. And I don't know. I mean, people take stuff personal for just really odd reasons. But um, that's one, you know, especially since it was the Sunday night game last night. And then they held the whole handshake thing. And everyone loves handshakes on Twitter and we love uh, reading body language and all that stuff. By the way, still blocked by Roethlisberger. Um, just, I... I I uncovered that one years ago, and then everybody was going, wait, I'm blocked too. I'm blocked too. It was, <laughs> it was a fun little day. We were able to put together some content. Okay, so I'm going to leave you with this then. Because of the Derek Carr challenge in Kellerman, which then turned into Stephen A. Smith, which I still kind of respected a little bit, uh, is there a quarterback that you're like, actually, this is the toughest quarterback I ever played with? Well... Josh McCown is pretty tough. I think we've kind of all unearthed that after he played with a hamstring like torn off his leg. Um, but he he was awesome. He would get back there and take some freaking shots and just keep trucking. Uh, honestly, people aren't going to expect me to say this. Brandon Whedon, that dude did not care about getting hit. Like he would get lit up and just keep coming back. Uh, you know, he was the first quarterback you know I played with, so maybe. I didn't quite know that NFL quarterbacks do that at the time, but I remember like he would stand in the pocket and he would take freaking shots. I mean, he was also like 29, so he probably had his old man strength at that point. But uh, you know, he he would he would take it. I, I was impressed by it. Um, you know, obviously we all know Alex Smith's toughness at this point too. Uh, you know, he's a guy, um, one of your favorite quarterbacks, obviously. But uh, you know, no, no one's going to question that guy's toughness. Um, but yeah, I think Josh McCown was like sneakily one of those guys. One, one of the most awesome guys, and two, super tough. And then that got unearthed again in that in that playoff game. Well, okay, but what if you had to fight McCown? Mm, I think he could bring it if like his family was threatened. Uh, I think. I mean, personally, I'm not really like a fight guy either, so I would have to have like some motivation to to get me going. Um, what if he insulted your cooking? Oh man, if he asked for like some A1 sauce for my steak, yeah, it'd be go time. Gloves are off. Um, I definitely couldn't take the the hockey guy you guys had, but uh, no, I don't think I don't think many <laughs> winger Brad uh, winger who was on who people check out that podcast. A lot of hockey tough guys would just be like, yeah, on skates, like I'm I'm incredible, and it's not like I'm going to lose a lot of fights with a random guy every now and then, but I'm completely different on skates than I am not on skates. And so I asked him that. He was just like, what, dude? He's like, I just, I just destroyed people. What are you talking about? I drive a rock truck and pick up hollandaise sauce and sign <laughs> autographs now. Um, anyway. All right. Hey, I, uh, I appreciate this because uh, I'd like to do this again at some point. So not retired Mitchell Schwartz, formerly of the Chiefs. Um, and again, you can follow all of his stuff, which actually is kind of cool to check out during a Chiefs game. It's at Mitch Schwartz 7-1. So thanks, man. Yeah, I appreciate you having me on. I know we kind of went in all different directions there, but I had fun. This episode is brought to you by Arby's. You know what I hate, hate, is after lunch, there's all this time before dinner. I hate it. So I'm always like, do I do this? It's like, you should. Gain season. Throw in a little 
something extra, an appetizer that just starts hours before dinner. It just gets so frustrating when there aren't great options. That's where Arby's new two for $5 chicken wraps come in. Available in your choice of ranch, barbecue, and honey mustard. They're perfect for that afternoon snack attack or as an add-on to your meal. Food buddies. Arby's two for $5 chicken wraps are here for a limited time at participating locations. Visit an Arby's near you or order ahead on the Arby's app. Jason Goff has a new podcast with us here at The Ringer, The Full Go with Jason Goff. I listened to him for years on ESPN Radio. He is out of Chicago, and he is upset, I assume, like everyone attached to Chicago. So if you like the Chicago sports, check out Jason's stuff. Okay, my open isn't going to even be popular because I just didn't go 100% like it's I mean, look, maybe it's 98% Aggie and 2% Fields. Um, how are you doing today? I feel like anybody from Chicago, I can't even get to the business part of this until I check in. Like, are you a lifelong Bears fan that's completely distraught? Okay, so just it, safe space, go whatever direction you need to go in. Man, just I've seen too much of this. And to have somebody with the raw materials that Justin Fields, I think, has. You know, we've, we've like, shout out to Shane Matthews and Mike Tomzak and Rex Grossman and Kyle Orton and all the dudes who came before him. I just, I don't want this for him. Like, I, I know what this franchise does to that position. And I just don't want, have you, it's like seeing, like knowing that you're the bad person in a relationship and then you see another one coming along. You're like, I, I don't want this for you. Like, let me get my shit together first and then maybe you can flourish. You know, like, that's how I feel about this whole thing. And, and uh, that Browns that seemed game, a little specific. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Shout out to the old me. But no, that that Browns game, man, that was um jeez. Like 48 yards on 42 plays. Like, Ryan, I know you've seen some bad sports in your life, covered some bad sports in your life. That's as bad, like all-time Chicago lows. That that's right up there, brother. That's like Terry Bevington. That's like Tim Floyd era Bulls. Like, that's that's bad, man. It's bad. Yeah, look, I'm uh I'm I'm with you. And I think that's the problem for any Bears fan is that if if you're like, okay, well, what if it's what if it's still a little bit of feels? It's like, no, we don't want to hear that right now. We don't want to hear that. And look, no, none of the rookies look good right now. They they all look overwhelmed. They look like completely different guys than we saw in August when there was there was so much excitement for it. Um Nagy didn't get it done with Trubisky. I think there's another part of the Chicago ownership. Um, that's been explained to me a lot and that it's it's not a, a group with deep pockets. They're, they've kind of just inherited this thing, so they don't run it. Like, you think Chicago, you think big market. It's one of the best cities yeah. in the country. Anybody that spent any time, like, you fall in love with that place. You love the people from there. And yet it's like, wait, this isn't a first-class operation? Like, the Chicago Bears aren't a first-class operation? So I think that part of the story is something outside of Chicago a lot of people don't understand, which leads to even more frustration and more angst when something looks as bad as it did yesterday. Yeah, I mean, you know, a lot of angst and, and frustration are always thrown at Ted Phillips uh, because he's a money guy who a lot of people believe is involved in some football stuff that maybe he shouldn't be involved in at times. But, you know, it's, it's, it's the McCaskey family. Uh, and it's Virginia McCaskey, who is the matriarch of this entire thing, who gets shown on every national, nationally televised game. She cares. I believe she cares. But then when it filters down to the sons and, and the people running the organization, like in my lifetime, I believe there maybe been two coaches, two head coaches hired with previous head coaching experience. I'm 40 years old. Right. So this has been a, a new job and a first time job for far too many people 
uh, for it to be a heritage franchise in this league. So, yeah, it goes above Justin Fields. Hell, it goes above Matt Nagy. But in this instance where you hire the offensive guru and your points per game keep going down, you you can put it on Ryan Pace, too. I mean, this dude takes big swings, moves up in the draft, and sometimes those swings don't work out. You know, Kevin White, uh, Leonard Floyd, who was playing uh, against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers yesterday instead of for the Chicago Bears, right? Uh, he's playing the L.A. Rams. So, you know, it's, it's, it's a long, long fight that Bears fans have had. Right? There's a lot of different gangs in this city. Um, there's a Bulls gang. There's a Sox gang. There's a Cubs gang. And we all fall under the Bears umbrella. And to see this happening the way we've seen it happen before is just it's, it's painstaking, to say the least, because Mondays aren't fun around here when the Bears lose. And it's not going to be a fun Monday through Saturday for that organization. Do you think Nagy makes the season then? Do you think he lasts? I do. This, is, this isn't a group that fires people in the middle of seasons, even when they're supposed to be. Like the Mark Tressman era was as I won't say it's as bad as it gets because I've seen some bad stuff. But when Mark Tressman lost the locker room pretty much two weeks into the season, you thought to yourself, all right, they're not they're not buying into the CFL guy stuff. So what are you going to do here? And he had another year, you know, so I don't believe that Matt Nagy is going to be fine. I would be surprised if he would be fired, but I wouldn't uh, disagree with it because yesterday to me it's a culmination of things. You know, you've had enough quarterbacks and now do I want you to ruin this one? Do I want you to not protect this one? Do I, I want you to not roll the pocket and, and, and play to his strengths? You already got that with Mitch Trubisky, right? If this guy is a, a highly idealized version of what Mitch Trubisky should have been, you know, Mitch had his one year in North Carolina. This guy's two-time offensive player of the year in the Big Ten. That's a damn good conference, right? So if you can't get what you need to get out of him going forward, these next two or three weeks are going to be very, very key, not only for Matt Nagy, but I think for Justin Fields, too, because we saw it with Zach Wilson. Zach Wilson got hit a whole bunch in that first game. Second game, Zach was moving around. What happened? Three interceptions in the first half. So you got to be very careful with these guys. You got to play to their strengths. And I don't think Matt Nagy, Matt Nagy wants his system to be the star instead of his players starring in a system that is built around them. That sounds personal. And I'm not, I'm not saying you're wrong. You know what I mean? But like to say that I don't want to adjust what I'm doing to tailor this to his strengths, like that in itself, that's true. Then he shouldn't be in the building. I mean, if 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 you've watched Bears football, and I know a lot of people haven't and don't need to. Be I watched the whole game yesterday because I wanted to see him, and because Directv jammed me up until the fourth quarter. And at that point, I think I'd had it pretty discovered. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, look, the protection for anybody that's listening, the protection was terrible. The protection yes, was. schemes for what they were trying to do. Didn't make a ton of sense. Um, we could talk about the lack of motion. We could talk about the personnel groupings and all that different stuff. But my point in the open again was that, hey, Fields wasn't good. I mean, it was no. it was pretty bad. Um, but I'm not like sitting here going, now I have a full evaluation of who Justin Fields is after a bad game where it didn't look like anything was matched. But that's a pretty damning statement, if that's true, that Nagy would rather not adapt to then you know, but again, these guys are stubborn. So go ahead. These these are the results, though. I mean, you know, whether it be Andy Dalton or Nick Foles or Mitchell Mitchell Trubisky, um, Matt Nagy when he first got here was celebrated Coach of the Year, right? I mean, we 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 saw the offensive prowess. He came out in that first game against the the Green Bay Packers, which was a loss on Sunday Night Football. He ran the T formation. Everybody's like, yeah, we finally got an offensive coach here in the city. And since then, the offense has stayed the same. 
and the points per game have gone down. Now, if Bobby Massey and Charles Leno Jr. are that important to your offense in terms of tackles, then all right, cool. You know what I mean? Then, then you got it, player. I can't yeah, argue with you. Right. But, but if we're talking about a guy who's supposed like, for instance, the Bill Belichick's, the Greg Popovich's of the world, we've seen great coaches. I'm not saying that Matt Nagy is supposed to be them or is them, but we've seen great coaches adapt. Right. We've seen great coaches in football air it out when they got to run the ball and when they when their offense says, you know what, we can't we don't have an as, as efficient a passing game as we used to. We got to we got to we got to run this thing. Greg Popovich, we've seen the space and pace. And we've also seen, hey, we're going to dump it down low and give Tim Duncan or whoever the ball 20 straight times because that's what we have to do to win. Now, this is a guy who said, I'm not going to come here, run twice and pass, you know, run, run and then pass and then punt. Like he said this to Chicago media before. OK, so. If your offense is telling you, you don't have to run, run, and then pass, and then maybe punt, that's what it is to win the game. And on top of it, your general manager went out and spent a whole bunch of money and draft capital on, on the likes of Khalil Mack. You know, they re-signed Akeem Hicks. I mean, you drafted Roquan Smith. You got to follow the money. The money is on the defensive side of the football. You know, Allen Robinson is trying to get paid. This is the lowest output that he's had in, in the first three weeks of his career. He's got 84 yards in three games. So you got to know where your strengths are. And I feel like he's the kind of guy that if they win or when they won, it was, hey, look at look at how cool my system is. And now when you're taking your lumps, you got to you got to pull it back and say, OK, not just hand over play calling duties, because that's what's going to happen. Bill Lazor at some point is going to be given the play calling duties like this. This has happened before in this regime, in this in this in this run with this crew with Matt Nagy. So I, I just I feel like his his system has to be the star, because when they do win or when they are successful, he can sit back and say, hey, man, you know, I know how to do this. When he first got here, Ryan, the Mitchell Trubisky um, era started with this offense being the 101 version, right? Like it was a college, you know, there was there was college courses. This is this is just the offense in the 101 version. Well, guess what, man? We are in community college now. We we are sitting here with a cafeteria of bad frozen pizzas waiting to go to some psych class that ain't going to get you a job. That's that's what's happening right now with Matt Nagy's offense. And the the proof is in the pudding. Like 48 yards, that's impossible. 11 of us can go out there and get 40 yards, maybe 35, 48. The biggest play was a 44-yard pass interference play when Justin Fields said, fuck it, and threw it down the field because he was tired (laughs) of getting his head beat in. Like, they ran misdirection one time, and that was on sack number seven. Like, Jadavion Clowney and Miles Garrett were sitting there like, wait, yeah. you're going to get the dude that's cooked in Jason Peters and put him in front of me and then Jermaine Ofedi, who's bounced around and then put him in front of me and think all I got to do is get to that point. There was no launch angle difference. Like Justin Fields was playing Andy Dalton's game plan and, 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 and the national pundits and everybody out there looking like there is a such thing as out of town stupid, right? Like we don't watch everybody else's games. And when we no, tune into we, right, we tune right. when we tune into somebody else's games, we go, okay, I got it. I got three hours of what I needed to see. Bears fans have been watching this for three years. And then he says in the press conference, Ryan, well, it's about the whys. We gotta go figure out the whys. Well, guess what, player? The why might be you. At some point, the why has to be you. Right. If every roommate you got is a bad roommate, you might be the bad roommate. So I'm sitting back in the cut waiting for Matt Nagy to come out because Tuesday's going Tuesday's going to come around and we're going to talk about it again. And it's going to be we're on to the Lions. Well, no, tell me what the why was. Tell me what you found out, because if if there's one thing that's for sure, this organization cannot they, they can't 
withstand another broken offense, broken quarterback, people not wanting to come here because the offense sucks, or having to pay more to wide receivers or more to tight ends or more to tackles and pay over over what you want to pay market value because of what's happened here offensively. It's just it's just not a good feeling right now. There's nothing to follow up on that. That was terrific, man. <laughs> I'm 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 angry, brother. I'm angry. I'm angry. I'm 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 smiling. I'm smiling to keep from crying right now. Man. That was that was really well done. The full go with Jason Goff out of Chicago, part of the ringer and Spotify. Uh new podcast. Happy to have him, man. Thanks. Thank you, man. Now I get to go talk to Derek Jones. <laughs> This episode is brought to you by Viore. It's time to ditch your old workout fit. Seriously, just let them go and try Viore clothing instead. Their active wear is unbelievable. Sometimes I wear it and I go, do I look too good? <laughs> I don't want to be at this peak level of awesomeness in their joggers every single day. This is going to be hard to maintain, but that's what the joggers do for you. Whether you're sort of business cash, whether you're just around the house, whether you're working out, whether you're getting on a plane and you're going to be in your seat for a long time, the joggers just give you a hug for the entire flight. It's soft. It's comfortable. You're never going to want to take them off. Incredible versatility. You can wear it while taking part in different kinds of exercises, running, training, swimming, yoga, and more. Viore yoga class. That just makes sense. The Sunday jogger is the number one go-to. And of course, the core short out now. Get yourself some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing on the planet. Our listeners get 20% off their first purchase at viore.com slash Ryan, R-Y-E-N. That's V-U-O-R-I.com slash Ryan. Let's do a little college football roundup here after another week where we have the uncertainty I think we were all looking for. And that's been now kind of the storyline the last couple of weeks, but now it's official. Um, let's start it, though, with a little shout-out to Arkansas, a.k.a. Arkansas, if Les Miles is listening. They went 0-16 in SEC play 2018-2019, and they just beat Texas A&M. Now, A&M's got their own problems if you watch that game. Um, Calzada, who we've talked about a quarterback in for Haynes King, you know, he struggled against Colorado, made a big throw, though, so they win that game, looked better the week after that. Uh, it's it's very clear. Calzada having to go against this uh, SEC West lineup. I don't know. And I also just don't understand why coaches do this to some of these guys. It's like, all right, hey, we want you to throw it out here in the flat. And when the kid's like not looking at anything else and throws it out to the flat for a loss, it's like, hey, I completed the pass. That's why some of these guys are like, oh, man, he's completing 71% of his passes. But like, is he looking at anything that's going on? And again, this is somebody who is a freshman you know, we're talking not that far removed from high school, so I try not to be as critical as I get a little bit older because it's a really big spot, and it already looks like he's so flustered out there. Uh, but Arkansas's defense has dudes, and even with Jefferson, their quarterback, going down and missing a good chunk, which is where A&M can get back into this. I don't think A&M is anybody you have to worry about at this point, and I think Arkansas is very real, and we're going to find out very soon here against a team in Georgia uh, whose offense has picked it up again against lesser opponents, but we know is loaded with pros on defense. Uh, I watched the entire Notre Dame Wisconsin game. We got Notre Dame now ranked ninth. Uh, Notre Dame's offensive line and Jack Cohn to start this game. It was ugly. But the problem is, is Graham Mertz, quarterback for Wisconsin, who, to remind everybody, is like one of the most highly talented quarterbacks, highly touted, most talented, whatever. 
uh, quarterbacks to come in to Madison because you just you know, most of those guys aren't going to end up there. I know that's shocking as much as I love Madison, but he is now against unranked teams five and zero, ten touchdowns, zero turnovers responsible for against the ranked teams. Mertz is zero and five with two touchdowns and 14 turnovers that he's responsible for. The biggest takeaway I had from this is that both quarterbacks, I'm not going to take either of these teams all that seriously. Now Wisconsin has the two losses, but Notre Dame even undefeated at this point. I mean, I guess you could get a little excited for Drew Pine, the freshman from Connecticut, shout out. But between the O-line problems for Notre Dame and that cone, I just, I don't know. I don't really see it. So I almost in a weird way, I think Notre Dame eventually is going to lose to somebody here, so you don't have to worry about the playoff part of this. Okay, Oklahoma. They beat West Virginia at home, and this was a tough one. I love West Virginia. I do. I I love the way they play defense. I mean, we see some weird Big 12 stuff here. We're not used to this. Oklahoma's defense is good. West Virginia had a couple guys on the edge all game long. It was so much fun to watch, which is a big problem for Spencer Rattler, quarterback who was running around the entire day. Now, he was running around. The offense wasn't going. It's weird to see Oklahoma look like this. They've had three offensive outputs this season, which I think are like three of the five worst since Lincoln Riley showed up in 2015. Um, Caleb Williams is the backup to Spencer Rattler. He's a five-star kid who's the number one quarterback in his class. So as Oklahoma's offense continues to underwhelm, which is not anything you ever expect out of Norman, there were chants for we want Caleb from the Sooner fan base, all right? They're chanting to Spencer Rattler in the sideline, we want Caleb. Uh, it wasn't all on Rattler. Again, the offensive line, which is a weird thing. Like, we'd expect, hey, weapons everywhere for the Sooners. They're going to pit up big points. It's not entirely fair to think, okay, wait a minute. They got two guys that went number one and another guy in Hurts who's starting for NFL games. The Rattler love has been falling off for the last couple of weeks. Um, I can't imagine anybody would have him number one on any of the mocks. There's probably two or three quarterbacks that are probably ahead of him. And who knows where that's going to be after the season is over. But the we want Caleb chance were aggressive. Oklahoma's still at number six here in the country. Uh, and this is another point. You know, I used to do this with Scott all the time where we would talk about different things that we saw and we'd make an observation and it'd be like, cons- like there's a difference between something happening and something actually being a thing. And I'm not even sure where this is right now. But I swear, of all these Elite 11 guys and these these camps and these seven-on-sevens and all this stuff and everything's clean and your high school team's so much better than everybody else, um, not to say you never get pressured throughout your entire high school career, but I think when the guys start getting a little bit bigger and there's some of these QBs that are still young and Rattler's just only into a second year of actually playing, which is another weird thing because last year didn't count. I think Rattler actually has three years of eligibility left but could then also declare for the draft, which is probably what he's going to do. Um, that this is, again, it's an observation, and I'm not even sure that I'm right about this. Is does it feel like we see some of these higher profile quarterbacks come in that look clueless against pressure just because they're just not used to it? They're not used to being pressured this often. And they don't know. And everybody's thinking, hey, we're going to do this drop. We're going to send out this many guys in our routes. I mean, these are all the different things that we're going to do. And it's like, yeah, okay, but I'm not used to these big guys chasing me around. Usually it's a little easier. I think you're seeing that with some of the kids that come in. But again, Spencer's been around long enough, but he probably has never been pressured like this consistently throughout his life. Um, One more thing that I want to get to, and that is, well, we could talk about Clemson's offense. Um, They're probably out of the playoff. I mean, probably, again, I don't don't think there's much of a chance they get back in there. It's also the same thing for the ACC, the Pac-12, where, Oregon would have to stay clean through this entire thing, and I'm not even sure that that's going to happen. 
I mean, Clemson's now missing their big D tackle. Skalski left that game. I still can't believe DJ at quarterback. They're this bad offensively, um, but and they are. I mean, how about this? You want to go yards per play? Here's who Clemson's ahead of nationally right now. Louisiana Monroe, Southern Mississippi, Colorado, Connecticut, Akron, Navy, and then Clemson. Clemson is 124 on yards per play offensively this season. That's good luck finding a more unlikely stat a month into the college football season. Uh, I don't know. So we've covered that. ACC could be done. Pac-12. I just don't know if Oregon's going to stay clean for 13 games. I just don't. I hope they do. I don't know if it's going to happen. But finally this. I said it last week, and I'm bringing it up again here. You know, Maybe Penn State is the best team in the Big Ten. We're going to find out more about both them and Iowa when they face off in Iowa. Uh, that's October 9th. The Ohio State part, they get a big win. CJ didn't play in this game. I think anybody would have, CJ would have lit up um, the opponent this week. But when we looked at the Penn State win against Auburn, I was like, you know, great atmosphere. Game day's there. It's a national broadcast. You're beating an SEC team. Uh, Bo Nix has no chance in hell to be consistent enough, I think, to win that game in Happy Valley. But what is it for Penn State? Because did they beat the fifth best team in the SEC, the sixth best, the seventh? I don't, because if you watched Auburn barely beat Georgia State this weekend, but by the way, Nick's got benched. Um, and he was replaced by TJ Finley, who was at LSU last year, who lost his job to Max Johnson. I'm a little surprised Finley got the start ahead of Max, but look, he's on Auburn now. I'm not surprised Finley replaced Bo Nix. But again, Auburn almost lost at home to Georgia State, who's now one and three. So if you're thinking about who Penn State beat in the SEC, Bama's ahead of Auburn, Georgia is, Florida is, Arkansas is, AM, TBD, I don't know, LSU, depending on the possession, they can look great and they can also not look great. Mississippi State, I think, is okay. I think Kentucky's okay. And then look, Ole Miss. Um, offensively, it's scary. So, I mean, there's there's an argument that Penn State beat a team that's closer to being 10th best in the SEC than certainly 5th best. Um, and also, shout out to Oregon State. They go into the L.A. Coliseum. They're 3-1 and one with Jonathan Smith. It's their first win at L.A. since 1960. It always blows my mind whenever I see those numbers. You're like, okay, so that hasn't happened in 60 years, but it did this weekend for USC. You want details? Fine. I drive a Ferrari, 355 Cabriolet. What's up? I have a ridiculous house in the South Fork. I have every toy you can possibly imagine. And best of all, kids, I am liquid. So, now you know what's possible. Let me tell you what's required. Life advice. Life advice is lifeadvicerr at gmail.com. Okay, um, here we go. Listen to the show for years. Want to get your take on what the limits of my involvement in my son's 10-year-old soccer team should be. To set the stage, I guess his son has a, has a medical issue. Um, let's just say asthma, okay? Um, he has... Fun being out there. We have no expectations for an athletic career. Main issue is the coach. He's a volunteer coach and dad of one of the kids on the team. He's a nice guy, but I think ultimately he has some insecurities. He told me what his job was and immediately followed up by saying it's a really tough job. Um, but he clearly just doesn't know anything about coaching soccer or how to manage 10 kids, which in his defense is extremely difficult. He has no organization at all. He has no plan for practice. Then during practice, he will frequently lecture the kids for extended periods about game situations and then follow up with a drill that does not reinforce the game situation discussed. 
Um, probably the most offensive thing he did was send an email to the whole team telling everybody that they need to be on time for practice at 5.30 because he was mad people were showing up late, only for him to show up the next day after 5.30, spent 25 minutes setting up the field and talking to the assistant coach about what they want to do. Every practice has started this way. Uh, humble brag alert, I played on the top five D1 team. Woo. Currently active duty military and have personally coached juniors. I only say this to explain that I've seen a wide variety of coaching leadership styles. No, I don't think that's a humble brag at all. I think it sets uh, it's good context for for the email. Honestly, the most effective teaching I've ever seen was a hip hop dance lesson that I took once in a whim. And my wife was a second grade teacher and principal in an inner city school, so she understands kid management well, and we talk about it a lot. I previously emailed them and the assistant offered to help out at practice, which was uh, which he was happy to accept. But to say his control of the group is infuriating is an understatement. And again, my son is having fun out there, so I can't complain much. But there are very good athletes on the team, and they haven't only uh, they've only developed worst habits over the past three, four weeks of practice. There's not been one pass. Oh wait, there has not been one pass attempted in a game. That's he says. There's not been one pass attempted in a game. Too late to apologize. A long email. Wondering your thoughts. How I should proceed. Um, Unfortunately, I only have limited time to help out. Look, I think this is a very common, common thing. Um, even without having kids, like I, I know the deal enough because I've had friends that were coaches. I know the times my father called the coaches that I had when I was younger and no one likes it ever. No one ever likes it. All the coaches think every parent is fucking crazy and every parent thinks the coach sucks. It is the agent-client relationship for on-air people. Every one of us that's on-air thinks our agents don't do enough and they should be doing more. And almost every one of our agents is like, this fucking guy's delusional. All right. And I don't, I don't know that anybody's right or anybody's wrong. It's just the way it is. And the coach, the coaching youth sports thing, I, I never hear good stories ever about any of it. So my first instinct would be, hey, you said it twice. Your kid's having fun out there. So, all right, they're not developing. And he's late. And I guess you guys never pass. There's a real ISO heavy approach here. But if you said your son's having fun twice, isn't that the whole point? And so it's all right. It's one bad youth coach. You're not going to have this coach beyond this season or whatever the season is. You might even have two coaches in the same year. And it's going to be really frustrating for you as a former athlete who played pretty high level soccer here to watch all this stuff happen. But if you don't have the time yourself to take it over and fix it, then there's not really much you can do. I mean, it's just every single parent out there, when you get your kids into youth sports, there are going to be a bunch of coaches that just aren't good at it. And then you can talk about the insecurity part of it. Like I was lucky enough in the basketball stuff where my father coached me, but it was funny because it wasn't like I got hooked up. I actually was the one and we laugh about it. And I even started to figure out at a young enough age where it didn't bother me that much. But when he would want to yell at somebody on the team, he would yell at me to yell at them. <laughs> and I first I'd be like, what, what is he talking about? Like, I didn't do that. And then we talked about it. And then I always thought it was really funny, but he didn't favor me. If anything, he probably went out of his way to make sure no one thought he was favoring me. But there were always parents that would call the house. But the problem is my dad was like six, five and played, played in college a little bit. So it was going to be like a hard guy to tell him that he was wrong about basketball from a bunch of suburban parents. But then I guess there was another father that wanted to help out. And my father, I know I didn't really want to do it. But he did it just because he thought it was like the right thing to do. So that wasn't entirely his op his operation. And then even his kids, we could tell the other guy that came by to help, like didn't have any clue. He didn't know what he was talking about. 
So like even the kids can understand it sometimes. But I would I would do two things. I would take a deep breath and be like, if your kid is having fun and you can't fix this right now, I think you got to kind of step back and accept this. Um, and the other part of this would be don't because I I was guilty of having this happen with me and it happened a lot. Don't poison the kid. Like don't don't get the kids together or talk to your son about it. Where even if you're right, I think it's it really sucks when you poison the kids and have them all knowing that their coach sucks, which happened to me a lot too. Where you'd be with the other parents and they would just constantly talk about how much your coach sucks, and then you're you're this young and you're so impressionable, and you just start thinking like, oh yeah, these this guy does suck, and this you know look. Even if he's late, even if he's not doing drills, even if he's he's still donating his time to go ahead and do all of this stuff. And you're probably going to move on for him fairly soon anyway, if I understand anything about the way youth sport tears work. This, this guy's going to be in your rear view very quickly. Um, so I, I'm sure there's plenty of people that disagree with me on this one, but I, I don't know. I feel like it's it's the most repetitive thing ever all the time in that people are constantly mad at the youth coach no matter what and the youth coach just always thinks the parents suck so i don't know kyle do you ever volunteer um salvation army once uh had to clean a bunch of roller skates get out of court mandated yeah yeah yep um that was it and i played youth soccer for a little bit but um i think i was done by the time i was in fifth grade i was on the red team when i finished my final season Saruti? Uh, I thought about this a lot, like, you know, future having kids. And obviously, I care about sports and I'm super competitive. So I'm like, am I going to be that annoying competitive yep. parent who like wants to? Yeah. But, but no, I, I feel like I have the self-awareness where I'm not going to do that. But I think this guy has to understand, like, this isn't like the Barcelona Youth Academy, man. Like, you've already, you said it to your, you, know, you said it yourself in the email. Like, this, there's no like aspirations of college or pro for your son here. And if he's having fun, I think you need to just let him have fun. Maybe the coach is overwhelmed. Maybe just say, Hey, I'll offer him up a couple of tips. I don't know. Like, unless he's kind of a hardo and you don't want to talk to him, but I wouldn't really disturb this too much because at the end of the day, if the kid's having a good time, then just leave him alone, man. Just let him, let him live his life. I don't really know what the other, like what's, what's the other play here? Demand well, you, you re- stage a demand when you take right. over. <laughs> yeah, like that's what you do. But but he even said he doesn't have the time for it. Like, what are you going to do? Demand he he resign? We'll get a press conference out there. We'll say that you want to spend more time with your family. I mean, everybody's ten. Everybody's ten. I know it I'm sucks. I'm confused about ten. the no passing though. That's a problem. You should be like, hey, we should we should get some passing drills going on in in you know in each practice session and maybe bump that from zero to like five a game because that doesn't make any sense. I would ask it this way. Is there anything people have spent more time caring about that ultimately they will never care about in the future than what your kid does in a youth game? Like you care about it so much in the moment and you already know years removed, like none of that meant anything. Now, there's plenty of you out there that are parents that actually think your kid's going to like get a scholarship. um, But you know, I would say maybe have a backup plan. But, uh, all right. I got to do this other one here because we get this one a lot and I don't know that we've done it for a long time. All right. Big fan of the pod, 5'9", 193. Recently did 13 dead hang pull-ups. Pretty sweet. That does sound pretty fucking sweet, man. 
A 31-year-old single dude, fully aware of my receding hairline. I will be taking the plunge to bald life in the near future. I would love to get your tips for making the switch. A few things I'm thinking about on my short list. Keep it together physically. I've already, I already have short and bald going for me, so I need to stay in good shape. I would agree. Add the beard. <laughs> I never really rocked a full beard, but maintaining some well-groomed stubble could help. Agree on that, too. I had a beard before I shaved my head for years and years just because I kind of liked it. Um, but I, I don't know. I haven't been clean shaven, razor shaven, and I don't know how long. I think I did it once for a TV show and I regretted it immediately. Uh, get a tattoo. I've thrown this around, uh, this one around in my wrong years that this might be a big drastic. Look, I, I get it. Sleeves can look cool. I saw a guy the other day with a sleeve and I was like, man, that does look kind of cool. Uh, I'm not going to do it. I'm not saying don't do it. I'm not saying don't do it, but I just, I do think there'll be a window where, this generation is going to get older and people are going to be in nursing homes with like full on neck tats and stuff. It's going to be pretty crazy. All right. It'd be great to hear anything you could add to this list uh, from a physical perspective, but also how to respond to people who act regularly or react regularly. I feel like I don't have much more than, yeah, I'm bald. Uh, yeah. There's, there's not really, there's not really much you can do, man. I mean, you know, it's funny how people can like obsess over how we have to worry about everybody's feelings now, which isn't, remotely um realistic and most of the people that i think that do that are for the most part pretty hypocritical like if you're somebody who like has this public stance or whatever i i'm almost positive i can sift through your bullshit and find something that you've done be like hey that didn't seem to be very nice even though this is the shit you're preaching all the time on instagram um but i guess people can change anyway uh the the bald thing is weird because it's almost like that's still an unprotected one. Like that one's not protected by today's uh, social defense mechanisms where it's like, holy shit, you're bald fucking loser. Like, you know what I mean? Like it's, <laughs> it can basically happen. I don't think getting called, like getting called fat now is, is more offensive than bald. Although skinny people have never, never had anybody defending them. Like it's like, Hey, you shouldn't call people fat. And they're like, well, people call me a skinny rail. Like no one, no one cares. But the bald thing, they are they're an under uh, protected group of society. So you're right. Like, it's going to suck. I mean, it sucked when I started to have the bald spot and people were just OK making fun of it all the time, all the time. It used to happen to me on radio shows, a TV show, pulled the well, was jib that Van Pelt, up. though? Was that Van Pelt? Because he was already bald and he was like, kind of, he wanted you to come home for a while. And I think you held out longer because you didn't you basically didn't want to listen to him. No, like. It was, it was even, it went on way before that. Like we had a younger Boston talk show where all the guys were really young and they had this girl call in that was supposedly like we were going to go on a date, but it wasn't. And then the other host said, I sport a flesh colored yarmulke to all the sporting events <laughs> or something. So it was, it was really fucking nasty. It's yeah. Intense Kyle. Hey, Kyle. <laughs> Simmer down a little. I've never yeah, heard that, that before. Wow. Hell? Every once in a while, you just hear something clever. I'd never heard that one before. I guess I haven't been out in the world long enough. <laughs> but that one is funny. I and trust me, like, I wanted to slap the kid around a little bit after saying it because he yeah. used to, I just remember being like, are you fucking serious? Like, I'm going to lose my hair. I'm the one that's going to go bald. Like, and I'm trying to be on TV. Like, this is ridiculous. And it was happening. Like, the bald spot just grew so fast, like, right before I even turned 30. I was like, can I go bald later like everybody else does and on top of everything else? But um, it sucked, man. It used to bother me so much. I'd get really bummed out about it. And yet no one had any problem having it be their go to to fuck with you, even like friends. 
You know, you couldn't be like, hey, are you an alcoholic cheating on your wife? Like nobody thought that would be cool to say to somebody when you catch up. <laughs> but if they said to you, hey, Rosillo, sweet fuck. And granted, I think there were some people that were like, good, fuck him. Fuck Rosillo. So glad he has a bald spot. You know, dick. So I don't, I'm with you. Like there's, but I can only tell you this. As soon as I just finally said, I'm sick of this, you know, because I'd get a haircut from this this woman and she's like, oh, no, it looks fine. It looks fine. I mean, like, it doesn't look fine. And I don't know. I don't know what it was. I just said, screw it. I'm done with it. But you're right, Sarudi. The Van Pelt part always pissed me off because he had this this absolute joy in his face every mm-hmm. time he catch it at a different <laughs> angle. He was so happy <laughs> that it was happening and he couldn't hide it at all. And it, it that pissed me off, too, because I'd be like, you're rooting for this. And then yeah. it was like you had a soul patch and a fucking Pete Campbell look forever <laughs> and you're giving me shit because I haven't given yet and what you don't realize is until you actually do it like I don't even think about it anymore I don't even think about it so should I have done it sooner yeah but I wasn't ready and if you're not ready you're not ready and that's okay it's not coming back I don't think you know I tried a few different things I never went like the full reseeding route I thought about it I've had a couple friends that did it it looked like it worked out so some ways I'm like you know what I'd rather have hair I also realized, too, that like my profile of being a single guy isn't, I don't know if it's awesome or terrible. Like, hey, how old is he now? What the fuck? He's never even been engaged. Um, how, wait, where's his house? Oh, okay. You know, that's his house. Okay. You know, like I, you know, I don't, but I also know this, that if I'm talking to somebody and I'll admit, like, I don't really date anybody my age, there's going to be nice. a girl that's younger than me that will be like, uh, this fucking guy's got like, I'm not like all the way bald, but yeah, like I have a bald spot that now with a shaved head down, you don't really see unless you see it. Um, so it looks like I just have close crop, but then it's like, no, no, he's like, he's like bald and on the top. And there's going to be women that I talk to that are never going to fuck with that ever, ever, ever. They're just going to be like, no, why would I do that when there's people with hair? Um, so my point is, is like, there's just parts of it that suck. There's nothing you can do about it. Nothing you can do about it, but worrying about things that you can't, again, you know, control what you control. I, I, I love this advice. I'll never forget. Wick Rosbeck bought the Celtics. We were becoming close. And I said, you know, it's too bad you don't have this guy. And he just looked at me like I was the dumbest guy ever. He's like, yeah, why would I worry about that? We don't have that guy. Okay. So moving on, like we don't have that guy on the team and we're not going to get him. So why would I spend any time of my day? worrying about that kind of thing or fantasizing about having this option that's not obtainable. Like, why would you do that? And so once I shaved it off, I don't know. I just, I, I, it is, it's a weird thing. You're just like, oh, cool. I don't have to think about this anymore. It's just all out there. So if you're listening to this and you're on the fence, I'm not telling you to do anything that you're not ready for. I can just tell you that once I did it, I was like, oh shit. Like I'm not, I'm not hoping somebody doesn't see the, angle of the back of my head is just out there it also helped to be a little taller and jacked you guys can work on one of those i remember the day that you shaved it uh and it was jarring like it was wild and now the idea of picturing you with hair is insane to me like i think you look like you and the good thing for this guy too 
and and you, Ryan, is the ball beard look is a good look. It's like a I would say it's a top ten dude look. Top maybe even you know, maybe even top. There's too five. many guys doing it, honestly. I'd like a it, few guys to scale back. So but. so when you say like, oh, girls aren't interested in you because you, you know, are you just gonna say no immediately because you don't have hair? I don't know. I kind of feel like the bald beard thing is is in right now and is cool. So I would you know, it's gonna be jarring at first for this guy, but then I don't know, like people are gonna figure it out and then you're gonna end up looking like 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 you're gonna look good in the long run and it'll be fine. But uh I want to go back to something you said. You said, would you, if you could get hair today, you would have hair? Yeah, I think I would be better suited for some of the TV stuff that I was planning on doing. But again, I'm not at ESPN anymore. I'm never going to work there again, I wouldn't imagine. So I don't, I, I mean, I, I just think that there's, I don't know. I think there was a way that, I mean, let's be, let's be honest. If I were a better looking guy, they would have used me for more NBA stuff. No question. But I also, you know, would would fuck it up too. I, I'd have like a pretty unkempt beard and a little bit of neck hair. It's like you know, you're on, you're on ESPN, buddy. Yeah. Like, what are we doing here? And then by the end of it, they were so desperate to have me on because they didn't have anybody in Bristol anymore. They were they were using me all the time. So maybe that doesn't have as much to do with it. But I mean, it's it's just something you got to accept. You know, like when when somebody isn't that attractive and they're like, I wish I was a model. You're like, you probably have different goals. Um, and I'm not telling you nobody likes the bald look, but I know that it's it's one of those deals. Like it's going to be part of it, you know. Would you want? I mean, you can't really do the girl, the bald girlfriend thing because it's not all that that realistic. Kyle, do you have anything to add to this or no? I don't really have much to add. I, this is one of those stayaways for me. Although it it seems like he's not worried about his friends bothering him. Like it seems like he doesn't feel like he has shit had friends because he didn't really mention that. So that's cool. At least you can like, you don't have that kind of friendship. My my friendships aren't that way. So it's nice that he. No, but he he brought up a really good point at the end. It was like, how do I respond? Like, I don't know. I don't know what it is about losing your hair. People are very okay, even people you're not even that close with, being like, "Oh, holy shit, bro, you're losing your hair." And you're like, okay, yeah. I mean, there's not really much you can do. I mean, you can start beating everybody up at work, but that's probably not going to work out for you. Um. The corporate world frowns on that kind of thing. Um, and then if you act too defensive, then it's like, oh, look at this guy. Look how defensive he is. Look, I'm just telling you, for anybody that's in their 20s or losing your hair, it fucking sucks. Nobody's like, oh, you know what? I was kind of cool with it. I mean, unless you wanted to be bald and shaved head, okay? But most guys are like, are you fucking serious? And it's a bummer, man. So I'm not like advocating for mental health awareness for guys in their 20s losing their hair. But if you're one of those guys with a full head of hair, that like decides to take a jab at a guy that's losing his hair, especially in his 20s, go fuck yourself. Go back to your cubicle. You know what I mean? So. Yeah, that guy's just insecure <laughs> about something else, though. I mean, that's what that is. I, I, you know, if you're a guy yeah. that's cool with that, and I don't know. It's, it's, that's beyond ball busting. Because losing your hair is not like this, some of the examples you said before were pretty extreme. Losing your hair is like kind of in that safe zone where it sucks enough to like make fun of somebody about it, but it's you can make fun of them and it's not going too far. It's in that weird zone. Um, so I don't know, but if you, if you do do that, that's kind of a dick move, man. Like, come on, there's probably something else going on with you. I had somebody who was this creepy anchor, um, which I know is rare, but he went to my girlfriend at work at ESPN and was like, cause he, he was married, he's miserable fuck. And he had a family and he was always trying to cheat on his wife. And he was dumping on me being like, I can't believe you'd pick him out of everybody here considering he's bald. And she told me. But she didn't tell me until after he was gone. So, mm. you know, I mean, that's the kind of stuff. I still obviously know who it is now, but 
I would just be like, how could you be cool saying that to somebody about somebody else? But it was his own weird deal of like wanting to like, that was his, that was his way of working her. It's crazy. I know. I know. Right. That's why, that's why I would say this, like whenever anybody asks about confidence or self-confidence and all that kind of stuff, and it pertains to this a little bit, we're going really long here. So I apologize, Kyle, we'll be done in a minute, but, um, just picture everyone that you interact with in life and just go like, there's stuff that this person is really lacking confidence in. (laughs) There's somebody that gets into this person's head. It isn't me, but there's someone that this woman has in her past that she's, she just, you know, is devastated about. There's someone in this guy's past that just runs this dude. So, (laughs) Whenever you have these interactions where you have to like deal with somebody who, you know, maybe has the upper hand on you. I like to go through this exercise of thinking about all the people that he knows doubt him deep down or who it is in his past that just owns him emotionally and never assume that anyone's as self-confident as they want to pretend that they are. It's a really good exercise. So um, if you're bald and somebody's making fun of you, just try to play a little game where you're like, I wonder how that guy's life sucks though secretly. <laughs> I, I don't know if we helped anybody today on this one. Okay, I think we're done here. Thank you to Kyle and of course, Steve. We'll talk to you on Wednesday.